Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live this 27th of May. It's fantastic to have your company. I'm your host, Lucy Zelich, and joining us today, it's a very warm welcome to Sydney FC head coach, Steve Corica. Bimby, fantastic to see you, mate. Looks like isolation's been treating you well. How are you holding up? Yeah, obviously, I think pretty similar to everyone else. It's been a, a tough time for everyone, but um, obviously being staying safe at home with the family and, and making the most of it, I suppose, while you can. Obviously, you can see the beard growing, so it's Good couple of months beard growing there, but hopefully um, it'll be coming off once we start games again. <laughs> and alongside him, a very beardless Nick Stoll, yeah, okay, no. solid SBS journalist. How are you, mate? I'm I'm feeling emasculated already by Bimby. That's an impressive wisdom, a lot of wisdom in that beard. I feel like we're just going to get some excellent man. answers. It's just grey, I think, so just to match the top of the head. <laughs> I've probably got a few gin hairs that could rival you too, Stolich, so you <laughs> both Bimby and I. Motherhood's treating me well, what can I tell you? Uh, look, Bimby, we are absolutely delighted that you could join us today. Um, and, and I have to say, um, and this is something that I've been wanting to say to you and the remaining clubs as well that are in this particular category, well done to Sydney FC and for those other clubs that made the decision not to stand down players and staff without pay. Um, you were one of the very few in the competition. But can you, you sort of give us some insight into to how this all blew up from your perspective and, and the conversations that would have been had within the Sydney FC camp about the way forward and what the right decision was? Well, obviously, you know, the, the league stopped. It's a very tiring, uh, tough time for every, every club, I suppose. Uh, you know, there's no money coming into the club. So, but I think our club handled it really well. Scott Barlow, obviously, Dan, Danny Townsend as well. We had very good communication with them, with all the staff and the players. And, um, yeah, it just... You know, I think if you have good communication, that's the big key, I think, uh, to, to make sure, you know, the players stay happy, the staff stay happy. But it's 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 very tough. Uh, the players are finding it tough because, you know, they're without work. They haven't played for, you know, it's two, over two months now. We're, we're well, stuck at home, if you want to call it that. We want to get back to work and uh, we want it all sorted as, as soon as possible. But, um, you know, it is what it is. It's, all, it's a world thing and... Um, uh, we just have to wait and, and make sure it's the right time that to, to come back. So the club's done a fantastic job so far with it. And, um, you know, uh, you know, we hopefully be back very soon. What's the communication been like with the players? Understandably yourself and, and all of the staff and the playing group included are itching to get back on the field, but what have been some of the more challenging parts of your communications with them and also keeping them motivated throughout this period? Yeah, I, the, you know, it's very tough to keep them motivated, you know, because uh, we don't even know when we're going to come back. So um, I, I communicate with them, you know, we've had a Zoom meeting. Uh, Danny's had a couple of Zoom meetings with them as well. Uh, I try and call them once, you know, once a week or every, you know, 10 days or so just to just to make sure they're okay as well because it's, it's tough for them. They're being at home as well. They're footballers. They want to be out there training every day and playing. Um, so it's, it's very tough for everyone. But you know, their mental health is is the main thing and staying safe and healthy in these, you know, dangerous times. So I just check in with them to make sure they're okay. Uh, some are, you know, some take it, you know, everyone's different. You've got older boys, you've got young boys that are at home with the family, which is, you know, sometimes easier for them. Um, you know, they're all different and you have to communicate with them to make sure they're they're all okay in their, in their separate lives. So, um, you know, but to, to keep them motivated is very difficult. We've sent out some clips, some highlight clips, just to remind them what how well they've done so far this season, you know, some set pieces and, and um, 
Yeah, well, I haven't sent it out yet, but they they will get it next week. Just some funny clips of uh, throughout the year as well. Just some uh, funny things they've done throughout the year. So just it, it's difficult, but um, we're doing our best to just stay in contact that way. Stolich? Yeah, I was going to ask, what kind of um, exercises do you have them doing, like uh, training and stuff? Obviously, they need to keep fit, but I, are they able to do ball work? What, what's the kind of things that that you guys have got them doing? Yeah, we've got them on a program. Obviously, they're going to do it individually. Uh, they've got a running program, uh, some weight programs if they've got weights and stuff like that, and, and core mate mainly. Um, you'd, we haven't given them a ball um training program but I'm pretty sure they're going out there kicking a ball around and, and doing the best they can in, in these times so um, yeah it's difficult as well to just keep training for no well I wouldn't say no reason but they want a time to come back they need something to to motivate themselves and to know that yeah this is when we're coming back and this is what we're working towards so but um, you know most boys are being pretty good we we can track what they're doing so we can see we can see what they're doing and and how much they're doing so it's great it's been great to also see uh bimby sydney fc season so far um the, you know again once again uh they've just completely impressed everybody in terms of the you know the performances and the results as well they speak for themselves you're, you're for, sitting on 48 points eight points clear of your closest rival there in second spot uh but there were a few talks for a period there where potentially the season could have been cancelled and perhaps you know should the trophy be given to you guys or you know is there a desire to, to finish out the season there have been so there's been so much conjecture around what we'd like to see happen and still to this day as we speak we haven't heard any theories around uh, you know when we can possibly look for a resumption date I know there are some news reports coming out via the Daily Telegraph this morning that we could potentially see the competition resume I believe uh, on the Ju July the 18th with a grand final date set for the 22nd of August uh, in what would be a very rapid fire competition um, and a conclusion to the season but where are you positioned now mentally and what would you like to see happen Happen. Yeah, well, you know, I read that article as well. We haven't heard, a, we haven't had a lot of contact with when we're going to be back. I'm hearing things, uh, you know, we might have four weeks training before we do obviously get back in, into it. So, which, you know, it, that relates to obviously the players, you know, it's four weeks, is, is that enough? You know, we might need longer than that as well to get the players back to match fitness because it'd probably be three months without playing. So it does take time for them to get uh, back into their fitness. And you can see from the German league, I think they've had quite a few injuries coming back, uh, you know, in, at a rapid pace. So it's, it's soft tissue injuries. It's never easy. But, but again, we, we want to get back playing. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. We've had a, a wonderful season so far. And, you know, we want to finish it off. We don't want the trophy now. We want to finish it off the right way. We have six games to go. We, we still have a lot of uh, goals that we've set within a within a group that we want to achieve and um you know we want to do it the right way and and make sure we finish the season the way we have started because uh, i'm very proud of the boys the way they they've been going the way they've handled the season we've we've done a, a great job so far but we still have six games to go and then the final series which everyone looks forward to stolich um, I was going to ask about uh, Ryan McGowan. Uh, my understanding is that he's over in Scotland. I think his wife just had a baby and congratulations to him. But will all your players be able to come back to Australia in time? Have you had those type of discussions? I don't know if anyone else is overseas or away or anything like that. Yeah, obviously that's, uh, that's another point of view as well, that when we do know that we're going to be starting training, we, we have to get him back as well, which is obviously quite difficult as well. He's just had the baby, which is, which is great for him. 
which is uh, so happy for him and his wife. Um, so that's great. But yeah, we have to get him back. He has to isolate again in, in a hotel probably for two weeks before he comes back to training and then a four week training program before, before we start again. So uh, he's the only one that we have overseas. Everyone else is here in Australia. And um, so we're, we're quite lucky in that way. Also, most of our players are under contract as well for next year. So that's that's quite good from um, from our point of view. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen next year, but that's another story as well. Mm. I want to pick up on a point you made that you haven't had much communication or heard about a possible resumption date. I mean, it's been a real concern within the football community that we haven't had much dialogue about when we can see the competition restart. Um, is there a sense of frustration amongst the playing group and, and amongst the likes of yourself and the staff, Bimby, about this? Uh, Definitely. I think uh, you've heard in the media about, you know, the, the broadcasters, the, the PFA all have to agree on on this before we have a return date. So um, it is frustrating. Like I said, you know, we've been out for a long time now. Um, everyone's, I think the first, for me anyway, the first week, uh, first month, basically five weeks is, is a bit like a holiday because that's the off season. In our off season, we normally get that time. But I think after that, it really kicks in and, and, how difficult it is now. So, um, you know, everyone's looking forward to getting back, but it, we understand everything. Uh, there's a lot that goes into obviously coordinating this, you know, the, the players want to make sure they get a fair cut out of this as well. The broadcaster, uh, there's a lot of things, obviously getting players back from overseas, foreign players as well, uh, coming back. There's players out of contract, over a hundred players out of contract by the end of this month. That's something they have to sort out as well. So, uh, there's a lot to, to be sorted, I think, before the date is revealed. Yeah, I was going to ask, there was a story in the Daily Telegraph a few weeks back from Buzz Rothfield basically saying that uh, police have had to shut down a Sydney FC training session that breached coronavirus separation rules. I want to know, can you tell us, did the police have to turn up and was it a Wanderers fan who called them? <laughs> no, the police didn't turn up. No, there was... Uh, we were doing some individual trading, um, abiding by the rules at the, at the time. But um, obviously, someone did uh, ring the police and they contacted the club. So but that was um, pretty much straight away after, that was almost two months ago now. So okay. um, obviously, yeah, there's been no training since then. So um, yeah, so that's, that's what happened. But that was a long time ago. And definitely, I'm pretty sure that could have been a Wanderers fan. So, I want to um, read out a couple of comments that we had uh, sent through to us from the fans uh, prior to the show commencing. Um, Julia Stiles wrote in and said, uh, Bimbi, it would be great to find out from your perspective what changed from the Arnie era to where you are now and the changes that you implemented. Well, I'm totally different, Arnie, personality-wise. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, we've we kept similar shape to to when Arnie was in charge, but obviously we've had a lot of change within the staff, the play, players from, from year to year. You know, we lost a lot of uh, big players from when I first come in. Obviously, Bobo and Adrian, you know, come to mind. Uh, you know, between the two of them, they scored 40 goals in that in that year with Arnie. So we obviously replaced, and I, I think uh, we've replaced well. Um, Lafondra, you know, Sim Diong last year, this year, Bomia Han, uh, Brad, and there's been a lot of great players. I think that we've we've recruited this year, and uh, I'm just 
pleased the way they've handled themselves. And uh, so far, uh, we've played some some good football. I, I think we've played some exciting football, scored a lot of goals. We we defended really well as well. We've got the best uh, defensive record, which is great. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely changed from Arnie, but, you know, we we do have the same sort of philosophy, me and him, but I, you know, also, you know, he, he was a great mentor to me. But I, I'm just basically doing it my way, the way I, I handle the players and the way we train and, and um, yeah, that's basically it really. Another question coming through from Chris Joseph. Uh, he wants to know what your what are your ambitions, Steve, post the A-League? Oh, you know, I've only just started uh, my A-League basically uh, career, really, two years now into it. This is my second year. So, but you know, we, we all have goals to, to coach overseas one day, um, you know, maybe further down the track, the national team as well, uh, you know. But that's a, that's a long way away. I'm, I'm very happy here at Sydney, um, obviously coaching. I've been here 15 years as a player, you know, and then a youth team coach and now assistant coach and now head coach. So um, I do have ambitions, obviously, to, to go overseas and coach one day. I think you've seen Kevin Musket has, has done it. There's quite a few coaches. Uh, Popper as well has had it. Ange has done a great job in Japan. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, we all have ambitions to do that. Uh, but I'm very pleased at, and happy at the moment in Sydney. What have the coaching pathways been like for you in your journey? Um, you know, it'd be great to sort of switch gears and, and, and follow your career from a player to then considering coming into the coaching sphere. But um, do you agree that um, the coaching pathways in Australia need some work or can you shed some light on what your experiences were like? No, I, I had a really good run in the coaching, um, doing all my badges and stuff. I pretty much knew uh, when I was coming to the end of my career, I, I, fin I retired at 37. I was working on, you know, the B licence back then before, before I finished playing and then pretty much had to do the A licence and then the pro licence, um, you know, it's taken, you know, I've just only finished the pro licence a couple of years ago, I think it was. But, uh, that was a new thing to Australia as well, the pro licence coming out. So, you know, we're also developing as a, as a nation to, to put these licences on as well. But I think as you've seen with Kevin Musket, he's had problems with his pro licence to go to Europe then and to... Uh, the, the qualifications basically don't count in Europe. So I think that's something we need to look into, which we are at the moment. And, you know, um, we should really, we're part of Asia, which it's qualified for Asia, but not in Europe, which uh, I think something, that's something obviously we need to look into. But um, yeah, other than that, it's been a, it's been pretty easy for me to, to do all my licenses and, and get prepared for, for what I'm up to now. Stolich? Yeah, I was just going to ask on uh, taking over a successful team and then keeping them successful. You know, you won the grand final in your first season, obviously most likely going to win the A-League this season if the path continues. What is that like in terms of it's a very different challenge. A lot of coaches will come in and they'll take over an unsuccessful team and, and you know, there a lot of player changes and stuff and you had player changes, you had backroom staff changes. What is that process like of keeping a winning team motivated but with new players and, and with new standards and new challenges? Well, it wasn't easy, I can tell you that much. You know, obviously taking over after Arnie, uh, the success he had at the club was very difficult. So, but, um, you know, I thought it was the right time for me to take over the job and, and to continue what he what he has done for the club as well. So um, basically, you know, I think 
the new staff that have come in, the new players, you know, we've probably had seven players, new players each year that I've been involved, probably seven or eight new players. So that freshens up the playing group. That keeps them motivated. The players that have already been here and won stuff, they want more. It's a part of the culture of the club that we we try and instill with all these players and and uh, everyone that comes into the club. We've got to make sure that we bring in the right players, like players-wise, we want the best players, but also the right mentality into the club. And I think uh, if you do that, well, then I think the culture just thrives. They want to win trophies. That's part of our our motivation at the club. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing our best to do that. Another question coming through via Facebook from Matthew M. Pappas. Good afternoon to you, Matthew. What are Steve's thoughts on Australian youth development, specifically with the Sydney FC Academy? Well, I think um, a part of uh, I think most clubs now have academies going. Um, there used to be the ARS when I grew up, which was fantastic. For you know, you've heard probably a lot of players talk about the ARS and how good it was, and Rod Smith and Steve O'Connor that did such a great job down there. But now the most clubs have academies, and and for me, part of our Sydney one is doing a great job. Kelly Cross is doing a good job there with all the coaches developing young players. I just. Um, I think since it started now, I think we've had around eight players that have actually made debuts into the into the first team, which is quite quite good. And, and that's in my time, so uh, that's in the last two years. So I think it's doing really well. Uh, there is a lot of good young players out there and talented players. If you give them a chance to to thrive and to have the environment of the first team you know, training with some of the, some of our experienced players like Wilco and Ninko and all these, all these players that have been around for a long time, they learn from that and they become a lot better players once they're, they're in that environment. So yeah, I think there are a lot of talented players out there and the youth development is, is starting to improve as you can see from, from what we've had in the last couple of years. Do you agree it needs some work though, Bimbi? Is it something that we're... Oh, of course, it's always, you know, work in progress. Um, you know, the right, we've got to make sure we get the right players, you know, developed well. You know, I think it's the times have changed. Obviously, there's, you know, the kids like to spend quite a bit of time on the computer and playing, uh, you know, games and stuff like that where, you know, we used to be out kicking the football around. But I think, you know everything changes the young kids are different these days and we have to you know develop them the way they learn and stuff like that so um you know there is definitely a lot of good players and you know we can improve these players to make sure they we have a very good national team in the future and the young socceroos and stuff like that because that's you know there's been a lot of talk about about that and you know how we haven't been making the world cups and i'm, I'm pretty sure we will improve a couple more questions before I defer back to you, Stolich. Um, a question coming in from Tonka Tony via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Tonka. Any young prospects that could be in the squad this year or next? Well, I think we've we've had quite a few young boys already that we've, you know, Joel King for one, I think, has been outstanding this year. Michael Zulo's been out injured for most of it. So he's he's really uh, stood up and took his took his place in, in the team and, you know, it would be difficult to get him out of the team at the moment. So uh, he's, he's done a great job. Luka Vanovic is, is another one. You know, you've obviously seen him. He's played quite a few games now for us. Um, he's, he's a real prospect, I think, as well. Trent Bahaja coming back from a long-term injury. Uh, these players all already, they're in our squad and, and doing a great job. But, you know, like I said, there's young players um, that are in our academy and our NPL side that, really have a good chance. Geordie Swibble, um, you know, Anton Milanarik. We have a, a very, you know, talented Ryan Teague obviously went overseas. We, we 
we sold him. Uh, Pavlicic, Adam Pavlicic, another great keeper that we're, you know, been in the Young Socceroos, played in the World Cup. Um, so we, we do really have a, a bright future at our at our club. And like it's, it's just maintaining the players, uh, bringing them up the right way. And again, like I said, you know, nurturing them that they're ready to, to develop into really good professionals. Stolich. Yeah, I wanted to ask Bimby how, you know, I'm always interested to talk to kind of successful coaches about the balance between kind of tactics and man management because, you know, you often will see after big games and stuff, you know, there's plenty of blogs written about tactics and videos made analyzing, you know, formations and movements and patterns. But then I think when you kind of watch uh, some documentaries behind the scenes and recently I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary and you see how much is man management and how much is, is keeping the group cohesive and competitive and all that. I wanted to know how do you balance between those two things? You know, we see coaches overseas like Zidane, who, for example, isn't known as the most tactically kind of revolutionary coach, but won three champions league, kept the group very happy, vice versa, Rafa Benitez, incredible tactician, not so great at managing the squad, has his success as well. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on that balance. I think that, that is a, a balance that you have to get right. Uh, tactics are very important. Obviously, we do a lot of work during the week on, you know, the way we want to set up uh, with the ball. And obviously, without the ball, we, we do a lot of research on the other teams and, and video analysis of of everything, basically. And um, But, you know, the, the man management side is, is the most important thing for me. You know, you spend a lot of time with these players. Uh, there's... You know, we have a squad of 20, 21. There's, you know, 10 players that aren't playing. You have to, you know, try and keep these players motivated and, and happy as well. And, you know, you can, uh, for me, it's, it's just being honest with them, being truthful. Um, you know, I, I believe we have a very good squad that goes all the way down to 20, our 21st player. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's obviously difficult. But it, uh, the man manager side is very important, and you know I spend a lot of time with the with the younger boys that aren't playing, talking to them, and and trying to improve them uh, tactically, but also you know physically as well, which is which is a big part of the game, the the intensity of the game as well. So I think that side of things is important. But you know it's um, the tactics obviously very important to leading into the game. But when you're out on the field, sometimes the tactics change. Players. It's the, the quality of players that you have to sometimes change within the game as well, I think, uh, tactically. Uh, and you know, I think if you have the right players, they, they can do that quite easily. What's your overall assessment, Bimby, on the, the quality and the evolution of Australian football from when you were coming up and growing, growing up as a kid and, and playing through the Australian system to then transitioning into the coaching sphere? Um, what have you identified as the, the, the key factors and the defining moments in the evolution of the way that we play football in Australia? Oh, you know, from when I was playing back in the, you know, the NPL, if you want to call it back that, in the NSL, um, yeah, it's changed a lot. You know, there was a lot of great players back then, but I think uh, the the professionalism that has changed since the A League has started, even from when I started at Sydney, the first few years, you know, to now, you know, it's it's changed a lot. You know, the the speed of the game is a lot quicker. T the tactics, you know, video analysis is has all changed. Um, you know, there's a you know a lot a lot of the parts of the game have changed in, in that department. I, I think it's improved um, that side of things. Uh, but 
you can't take away from the old NSL as well. There's a lot of great players that are, you know, represented Australia and, and the quality of footballers back then was, was very good as well. We should, you know, we speak a lot about the golden generation and stuff like that. So, um, but for me, the, the A-League, you know, we have some, some good quality foreigners. Um, you know, we have a salary cap in, in the A-League. So, you know, that tries to keep the league quite um, competitive uh, and it's also difficult at, at times because you want to bring in, you know, if you're talking about improving the state of the game, you know, with a, a salary cap that we have, it's, it's difficult. But we, you know, I think we've done a, a good job in Sydney to bring in the right foreigners and um, to improve the game. And, and I think they've done a great job. There have been some discussions and Stolich and I have been privy to this information and it's sort of been doing the rounds within the football community uh, on the rumour mill that um, clubs are potentially wanting to raise the number of foreigners to at least eight. What's your view on that and have you heard anything to that effect? Um, I haven't heard eight, but I've heard they wanted to increase it a little bit. Uh, for me, um, I think it's important to bring in foreigners that are going to improve the league. So... For me, eight might be too many. Um, you know, we have four at Sydney. We haven't we haven't used the whole five because I believe that you know we have some good young talented players in Australia here that that can do a very good job in the in the A League as well. So, um, you know, I think they, they need to be good enough to be to be starting to improving the league and to make the league better. If if not, well then there's no point in having them. I don't think it's you know it's better to improve the the Australian players and, and make sure our league becomes better because of the Australian players. But um, yeah, it's it's obviously a difficult one. We want to improve the league and we want to try and improve with the foreigners. But sometimes it's it's not great having obviously that many amount of foreigners because that's pretty much three quarters of the team um and then you know then we're talking about arnie and the national team improving that well this makes it a little bit difficult if majority of the players are foreigners stolich yeah uh Bimby, i wanted to ask about um you know if you look around the a-league now um you know some of your teammates at Sydney FC, many of them are coaches, Mark Rudin, Tony Popovich, Ufuk Tale. Uh, you know, you've got David Zrilich over in the US. Uh, there seems like it was, there was a bit of a special group there that you had at Sydney FC. And I wonder at the time, did you guys discuss, you know, going into coaching? Why do you think it is that we've seen so many of you? And I know quite a few of you were close friends and, you know, add Zelko Kalach to that list as well, coaching at Sydney United. Was there something special in that group? I just think it's really interesting that a cluster from one team has gone on to have quite successful coaching careers. Yeah, it's, it's quite amazing the amount of players that have uh, become coaches out of Sydney FC. I think even Dwight Luke is doing coaching in, in England. Uh, Johnny Aloisi as well, obviously looking to get back into coaching, but he's he's done a great job as well. So they're, they're, <laughs> I don't know what it was. Uh, maybe the motivation um, is there for everyone to, to do that. Obviously, these guys know a lot about football and, and tactically and and um, the way they see the game and they want to play the game and, and the way they coach. Obviously, you can see that coming out in them. But, um, yeah, I, I can't really say why that has happened. But, um, yeah, a lot of there are a lot of experienced players play for the national teams as well, which, um, you know, which you do learn a lot, you learn from different coaches. And I suppose these guys uh, can can bring that into their kind of coaching and improve their players the, the way they want to do it. So, yeah, it's been a lot a lot of players that have come through Sydney FC and uh, that have gone on doing a, a great job at the, in coaching either in the A-League or overseas at the moment. 
do you stay in touch with them and, and discuss kind of you know issues that you have because yeah it's there's only 10 11 a league coaches in the competition so it's, it's a not many people actually have your job that you can say oh what about this and what about this and being an a league coach is a very unique situation because of no the salary cap and no transfer market and all this so do you stay in touch and do you speak yeah. often yeah of course you you know i there are a lot of them are, are, are good friends of mine and I, I speak to them obviously we don't speak too much about and stuff like that so it, it, it does make it a little bit difficult obviously you know we're very good friends um, but you know when you actually have to play them like even that the day of the game you know you you don't want to say too much obviously everyone's a little bit uh, on edge you know going into the game and you know afterwards if you win as well it's obviously you don't want to rub their noses in it either so you know it's it's a, it's, it's, it's tough but um, you know we do speak in general about just normal you know, salary cap and stuff like that, you know, Ufi Tale as well. I think, um, you know, he's my assistant last year doing a very good job this year with Wellington. So, you know, he's, you know, I spoke to him a fair bit this year. Um, Popper and Roots, uh, these players, Driller overseas, I, I speak to him. You know, that's a little bit different because we can speak more about tactics with him because of, you know, he's overseas. It's, he's not in the A-League now. So uh, his time at Leipzig, we've, we've mm-hmm. spoken about that and now, now he's gone to America as well, which is great. So, um, you know, you can learn uh, a lot of stuff from from these players, uh, coaches that are overseas. A couple more questions before we let you go, Bimbi. Um, one of the things that I'd love to hear from you is about the development of your football philosophy and how that came about. So when you'd obviously had ambitions to coach, was that something that you'd already identified then, this is the style of football that I want to play? Or is that something that that is moulded and that evolves uh, with time? And depending on who you've worked under, of course, you worked under Arnie. Are they, are they bits and pieces that you take from, from you know, your journey along the way? Yeah, I think so. I think even from my playing days, I think, uh, you know, when I was playing, I, I wanted to play the game the right way. I wanted to entertain. I wanted to, to, to excite the, the, the crowd that, that come and watch the game, you know. And I think from that, I've tried to, to, to deliver that with, uh, with my coaching. You know, you do learn a lot from um, all the coaches you've obviously played under. But I think you learn more when you become an assistant coach and you towards the end of your career, you really treat it a little bit differently to when you're playing, I think. Um, and I learned a lot, obviously, like you said, from Arnie Vidisar-Levichka as well. I thought that was my first real step into becoming an assistant coach. And I was a youth team coach back then. And, you know, he was very good man, man management side of things. Arnie's a very good man manager with the, with the players as well. So, you know, you pick up these things from, from these guys. But the style of football, you know, it's something... It's just a way I want to develop the players and, and excite the crowds and play good football, exciting football, score a lot of goals because everyone wants to see goals. But we don't want to take away a game from the defensive side of, of things. I think that's very important. And most teams, if you have a very good defence, you've got a very good chance of, of winning the league. So it's a balancing act, I think, to get the right formula defensively and in attack and, um, you know, and at the moment, uh, it's, it's going really well. And we, we still have six games to go, obviously. And, you know, we want to win win the league. We want to win the grand final once we do get back. And, and that's our motivation for the remainder of the season. 
Um, a question coming in from Ari Brisbane. Please ask Steve if, as a far north Queensland lad, he would support a team in Cairns. Expansion, of course, has been a big topic of conversation recently, but um, is that something you'd be in support of, Bimby? Of course. I think uh, it was great when we had the team in, in Townsville. Um, you know, I thought that was really, it worked really well. But obviously, they've got to have the finances to, to be able to support the team, have all the structures that the A-League and, and, you know, that you need of a, a stadium money-wise. Obviously, the players, it's very hot up there as well. But, um, you know, I am from up there and I, I love it up there. And it'd be great to see another team in, in Queensland or in, in far north Queensland as well. So, yeah, definitely. Nick, a uh, couple more questions before we let Bimby go. Yeah, Bimby, I wanted to know kind of from your now coaching perspective, you as a player, I always found you an extremely intelligent player, very good technically, uh, a really, really good midfielder. To be honest, I think a bit underrated in this country. And I wonder if that was because at the time you were maybe used incorrectly or that your style of play... At the time of your career, there was a lot of four-four-two, and midfielders kind of was a lot of box-to-box. I always looked at you as more of like the way that we see kind of the typical Spanish midfielder of, you know, a lot of short, sharp passes, getting into the half spaces, very intelligent. Do you think that you could have been used better? Do you think maybe you might have had an even more successful career had you been in that type of system? It's a tough one to, to answer that, I think. But I think you're right. A lot of teams played 4-4-2 back there. So, um, you know, sometimes I was out on the left more so than maybe centrally as, an, as a number 10. I, I enjoyed, obviously, playing as a number 10, that free role, if you want to call it. The game's probably changed a little bit these days as well. But, um, yeah, no, I, you know, I think I made the most of my career. I... You know, I, I represented Australia at every level. Um, I played in two Olympic games. Uh, I played for the national team, which was, you know, which is the pinnacle. You're, you're very proud to play for the national team. I played over 30 times, I think, for the national team, 40 times. Um, played in England, Japan. So I, I had a good career uh, as a player. Uh, but, you know, that's pretty much forgotten about now. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying coaching. Uh, I still miss playing. I, I, I love playing the game. It was, it was great. Um, so now it's time to teach the, the younger players and to try and, you know, to make them better. Try and win trophies at the club. That's, that's obviously my motivation as well. I, I love winning. I love winning trophies. Um, and that's what motivates me, really. Um, I love the game, the football. And um, that's yeah, something... You know, I, I look forward to every day getting up, going to work, uh, spending a lot of time with the coaching staff and the players, which you do normally spend a lot of time with them. Not at the moment, of course, but um, that's something I'm looking forward to. I've got to say, uh, Lucy. Sorry? I was just going to say that I've, I've been lucky enough to play twice against Bimby, once on the sand with Zrilla and once uh, Sydney FC Media Day. And it is the most I've felt inferior on a football field in my life. Oh, I couldn't get near him. He was he was retired, by the way, like four or five years retired. Smoked me. It was just like, oh, I've played against some good players in my time. It, the best. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, do you still get involved in the sessions then with the boys when you're out on the training paddock? Uh, not since I've taken over as head coach. Um, but uh, when I was assistant, yeah, I used to join in quite a bit. And, you know, I still quite enjoyed that, actually, trying to to see where you were with some of the quality players that we have at that club. So, um, 
physically, obviously, that slows down a lot. Uh, the brain is still there for football and, and your passing and your skills and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit harder these days. Well, I think it's been fantastic to see your evolution as both a player and a coach. Now you're doing so well with Sydney FC. We've been delighted to have your company. We've seen a lot of comments flooding through. So we're really grateful to the Facebook fans for tuning in and, and for joining us um, with you here, Steve. We wish you all the very best for the remainder of the season. Whatever that looks like, whenever that starts again, I think we're all in agreement that we'd love to see the A-League back and then concluded as we look forward to a brighter future. So thanks so much for your company. Take thanks, care. Lovely. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Steve. And uh, yeah, if you want to leave now, and I think, Lucy, we're going to continue we talking, right? No, we'll let Bimby get back to, uh, you know, mastermind his next, uh, you know, A-League trophy. <laughs> Take care, Bimby. Thanks a lot. Um, Stolich, fantastic to catch up with him. And thanks yep. by the way, to all the Facebook users joining us live here today. It's always great to have your company uh, and your questions and your comments flooding through. We've seen a lot of engagement with Bimby here. Um, you know, he's such a great guy. Uh, and I think it's been brilliant to see him evolve now uh, in this position and to achieve great success post the Graham Arnold era with this Sky Blues team, we cannot underestimate it, can we? No, I mean, I think, listen, I think what happens a lot, not just here, but all over the world is when a coach, an assistant coach takes a, you know, takes over a successful team, there's a thing of, ah, oh, well, he has the best players and I, oh, he can just do it easy. But, you know, as he said himself, it wasn't easy. And if you look at it, you know, he had Bobo, Merjewski, some really top quality players leave. On top of that, Andrew Clark, his backroom staff left as well. So it's really not easy. It's not easy to keep a team winning when the coach isn't replaced. So, you know, I, I think he's done a great job. I think um, he is a bit slightly underrated. You know, CNFC have a fantastic squad. Don't get me wrong. Fantastic players as well. So I don't know, it, it's a tough one, but I'm really interested to see uh, where he goes, uh, you know, on from this, because he might be one of the most successful A-League coaches ever. If he wins the league again this season, who knows what could, you know, the future holds for him. I think it's just great that we've got Australian coaches doing well in a league where we have had an appetite for foreign coaches and foreign players in the past and certainly now in the current climate. But I think if we can start to make that shift towards producing more Australian players and also giving opportunities to young Australian coaches who have ambitions to do well here domestically and then go out and make a name for themselves internationally, I think that, that we can only stand to benefit from that going forward. I want to pick up on a couple of news stories before, before we look up to look to sorry wrap up the show and I'll defer back to what I mentioned and referenced with Bimby earlier. It's a story that's come out via the Daily Telegraph and Tom Smith is a journalist there earlier today and the report is that Football Federation Australia have reportedly proposed a rapid 32 matches in 36 days complete the 2019-20 A-League season. The start date we're hearing could potentially be July 18 with the grand final date set for August the 22nd. Um, you know, we've heard a lot of conjecture about all of this and none of it coming from Football Federation Australia, which seems to be the biggest problem at this point. I'm, I'm really sick to death of seeing stuff leaked out in the media. We want to hear from the governing body. We need a statement. We need them addressing the football populace at the very least in the next couple of days or at the very least in hindsight, at least once a week to let us know where these negotiations are at. Keep us updated. Tell us what is actually preventing you from giving us a restart date. You know, is it the broadcasters? Is it the PFA? 
today is that who are the stakeholders involved that are preventing you from getting over the line and restarting and concluding the competition? That's what we want to know. And we're starting to get increasingly frustrated because internally we're having to come up with our own theories or look at it in the media to find out when the competition's going to start again. Let's get our act together. Let's start to see some consistent leadership coming from the top and letting us know, informing the football public when we can expect to see the competition start again. Stolich, what are your views on it? Well, I agree completely with what you said. And I believe we have a little bit of uh, breaking news on this very subject. Um, Dave Lewis, one of our reporters, is filing a story right now. I've seen it in our emails and uh, it will be up on the website very soon. But he is basically, so there was the proposal, obviously, that we've talked about 32 games uh, in 36 days, all in one hub. But on one of the contingencies of this was that it had to be agreed to by the broadcaster, Fox Sports. Um uh, Dave Lewis is saying, however, Fox Sports, according to reliable club sources, won't sanction a return to action until FA agrees to accept a funding package worth up to a 50% less annually than the existing $57.6 million a year commitment. So Fox Sports are saying we're not going to you know, sign off on this restart to the to this season until we renegotiate the final three years of this deal which we know that they've been wanting to do for a long time so that's a huge stumbling block i think it's a very interesting story from dl and there'll be more detail on the website as soon as this is over but yeah i just think it looks like it's we're very far away from uh getting this thing restarted, even if there's a plan. The fact clubs haven't agreed, players haven't agreed, players are furious about an 80% pay cut. That doesn't seem like that's going to work out at all. So I don't know. I'm, I really want, obviously, the A-League to come back. I think we all do, but the people in charge, they have other, you know, they have their own corner that they want to protect, and I'm sceptical. Let's flesh out this breaking news then, because yeah. we understand that in the current climate, and both myself and Foz yesterday spoke to Colin Smith, who is the Managing Director of Global Media and Sports, so he's essentially an expert when it comes to broadcasting rights, and he said that all sporting codes now are in a position where they're going to have to renegotiate their existing arrangements with broadcasters. This isn't news. Um, you know, for Fox Sports to come in and demand this, I don't think is entirely unreasonable. We are expecting that, yes, we are going to have to look at a more, I guess, conservative future when it comes to the finances being pumped into this game. Whether or not Fox Sports are using this as an opportunity to get out of their contract is not up for debate here. We have to look at the existing arrangement and that is that they paid their final instalment. They are in a situation now where they're looking to renegotiate their final three years of their agreement um, and they're entitled to do that. Why are Football Federation Australia not basically coming to the party on that? Well, that's something I can't comment on and we'll need to seek further clarification from them but there are a lot of stakeholders involved here that need to be I guess brought on side before we can see a competition resumption but the point of the matter is is that come out and tell us that communicate that with the with the sporting public um you know we had the luxury of sitting down with James Johnson last week but again he said that potentially they were very close to to getting a fully aligned view on when we could see a, a competition a resum resumption date become public but still I don't know why other codes have been able to get their act together? Why have AFL been able to get their act together? Why have NRL been able to get their act together? NRL are resuming tomorrow. Um, and, you know, and they've got players that have been abroad. They've got a club that's that's based in New Zealand as well. Uh, you know, we, we have to get on with this. Enough is enough. And we've only got six rounds to play. Um, you know, one of the only things that really concerns me about this rapid fire conclusion to the season is we've heard Bimby there already talking about the risk of injuries, potentially. We've seen a lot of players in the Bundesliga putting up, uh, pulling up with um, soft 
soft tissue, excuse me, injuries, which has been a real concern as well. So there are a lot of factors in all of this, but I think that had we been able to get our acts together a little bit earlier on, we could have allowed clubs to, to get back into training in obviously in safer measures and, and start to look at potentially resuming the competition. Uh, you know, I just don't see how there's going to be a positive light at the end of this tunnel with all of this um, political in-house fighting once again, Stolich. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I, I've got to say, I feel very sorry for the, the players involved. I mean, you know, the fact that it's like they're being told, okay, for these last two months, I'm going to have to take an 80% pay cut. Now, that will probably be renegotiated, but they'll have to take a significant pay cut, probably in the region of about 50% or something. Then on top of that, you're risking injury by playing so many games in such few amount of time, even with this kind of four-week preparation. A-League squads aren't very deep as well. It's not like Europe where they have big kind of 23, 26, 30-man squads. Like Bimbi was saying, it's 21-man squad. That's not a lot of rotation. You know, maybe we're going to see a lot of young players come through and, and have their opportunity as well. But this is going to be very, very tough. And let's just hope that we come out of it relatively unscathed at the end of it. You know, I mean, even James Johnson himself said that maybe not all clubs will survive this. It's a worry. And we've also heard that there are at least a couple of clubs that have said that they don't want the competition to resume. So I don't take away the fact that this is a really difficult scenario for Football Federation Australia and all of the stakeholders involved, whether you're a part of the PFA, whether you're a player, a coach, um, a club owner, everybody in this scenario is hurting at the moment. The fans too, we want to see the game come back. We want to know that there is indeed going to be a solid base and a future for the Australian game here because we've seen so many issues brought up in the wake of this pandemic now that we need to, to we need to address um, for the future of the, of the game and, and to ensure that we've got stability across all tiers, whether that's a professional tier, it, it extends right down to the grassroots. But all I'm saying is we need better communication. We need to know where things are at. And we haven't heard anything solid from the governing body in the way of a media release um, in, in some time now. And it's a concern because, like I said, I'm sick of seeing stuff drip thread through the media. Let's actually start addressing the football public so that we're not having to be at the mercy of reports in newspapers or on websites or via the World Game or via Fox Sports. You know, we want to know what's going on with the game. And I think that's it's only fair to ask that, Stolich. Yeah, and like you said, like Bimby was telling us that he read the story about the reset of the 32 games in 36 days on our website. You know, so they're not being informed. I was talking to a player yesterday. He was telling me that he's basically just waiting to hear back from his club, but he hasn't been told anything. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. He's reading about, you know, yeah, this uh, pay cut in the, the newspaper. So... It's it's really it really is a tough time for Australian football, and it's a time when you know everyone needs to come together. And to be honest, a lot of people are going to have to sacrifice. And I'm not sure who is going to sacrifice because I don't know if everyone will. And you've also got the issue of this twelve million dollars um, that's sort of being withheld by FFA at the moment. And depending on upon which reports you believe, um, some of them are suggesting that that money is being withheld because, say, for example, a two million portion of that will go towards setting up the hub, the player hub, which could be in either Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane. We're reading um, some of it, of course, will be kept to to make payments to the players, but that could be as low as I think the figure was something ridiculous, like between two to three million. Um, whereas in the past of course and, and again we're talking pre-pandemic the, the the broad chunk of this money was distributed across all now 11 clubs um, and obviously we have to make further constraints but I'm just wondering why we're not doing more to help the players of the game in this scenario because an 80% pay cut 
I don't know that that's reasonable. In fact, I think that's just outrageous. Stolich? Yeah, I mean, listen, I love coming on this show and talking football with you, and I would happily talk football with you, you know, every day for the rest of my life. But if they, if SPS said to us, you know, you got to take an 80% pay cut, you know, even though we love what we do, it's still, you know, it's a huge slap in the face, you know, then you start to think, well, am I going to put in the same amount of effort and practice and research that I do every week? You know, and then you start to think, am I going to put in 80% less effort if I'm getting paid 80%, you know, so it's just going to create a very negative environment. It's going to be very hard for coaches to motivate uh, those players. A lot of those players will have, you know, very hard to have mortgages to pay and, and families to feed. And it's going to be very hard to do that with an 80% pay cut. So, I don't know. It seems like an absolute disaster, basically. Uh, I, and then the fact that we have this further on, you talk about AFL and NRL. Well, they don't have, I guess, the infighting in the game that we do between the the broadcaster and the the governing body, and then the players and the clubs as well. You know, there's so many kind of people pulling at different strings that it's it's so difficult. It's really difficult. I'm hopeful that we get this league, you know, back and it's okay, but what kind of state are we going to get it back in? You know, which players are going to be around? Which clubs are going to be around? Where's it going to be shown next year? I don't know. It's, we don't know. There's a lot to thought through, um, certainly, but I'll be looking for, for, I'll definitely be looking forward to reading DL's piece. Um, and like mm. I said, you can head to the World Game website shortly where that will be up with some breaking news around the potential issues surrounding the resumption date of the competition. Um, I want to talk about other issues. Bloody Dortmund. Can they ever can they ever get one over Bayern for for once? I mean, I know that they have in the past, but I was really looking forward to them potentially really giving it to them this morning, and we weren't able to see that. And where was Harland? Where was he at that time to score to score a couple of goals and really get us over the line? They lost one nil. Um, thoughts and reaction to that stolage? Uh, I thought it was a wonderful goal from Kimmich. Uh, I've quite enjoyed watching the Bundesliga at the moment. Um, you know, I think it was, it was a bit weird to come back to, you know, no fans. One of the best things about the Bundesliga is the fan culture and how much noise they make. And it, it's not the same. It, it's not what I would like. But like I was saying to a lot of people, it's like fans, football without fans is like food without flavor. But if you've been starving for two months, you still want to eat. So <laughs> I was enjoying eating. Uh yeah, it's, it's a disappointment because the one thing I really wanted was a good title race now that we're back in there. And Dortmund did need to beat Bayern to uh, get back in it. And it just feels like it feels like they can pump a lot of the other teams in Germany, the smaller teams, and they're an amazing team. But when it comes to Bayern and when it comes to teams like PSG in the Champions League, this young Dortmund team is just that one step below the really top, top quality of Europe. And that's why they're probably going to finish second. Mm. Um, thoughts on the K-League as well of course you know we heard Bimby say that he's been watching um, the K-League which has been great I think it's exposed us to a different uh, league of football that perhaps you know in the breadth of everything um, you know when all the leagues were still back up and running we wouldn't have had all our eyes on but at this point like you said when you're starving and you're desperate for football um, you're very happy to, to watch what's available and of course there's more added interest for us because we've got a host of Aussies there as well yeah, I think it's been really interesting. I think it's really interesting just to see how another league works in terms of the culture. I think, uh, you know, for example, their stadiums are quite uh, appropriate. And uh, we talk about having smaller stadium uh, there. And I think they've got a lot of kind of 10,000 seater stadiums and that's been really good. I think it's been interesting to watch games with fake crowd noise. Uh, I actually thought it was like going to be really annoying and a joke. And at first I found it very weird, but to be honest with you, I compared it to watching a few Bundesliga games without any noise at all. And I did actually find myself more enjoying 
enjoying the fake crowd noise, if only because it felt a little bit more natural, uh, mm-hmm. ironically. Whereas I think when it's when there's no crowd noise at all, it you just feels like a training session. You just can hear too much. And in a way, it's interesting to hear if you can't understand, you know, German in that case or whatever. It is interesting to sometimes hear what the players are actually saying, what the um, coaches are actually saying. I remember once Barcelona played in an empty stadium and the amount of swearing that you could hear was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> they had a censorship button, just da, 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 da. So yeah, it's it's been interesting. But yeah, the K-League, I've been enjoying it. Uh, Brendan O'Neill's been doing quite well over there. Uh, you know, Terry Antonis got sent on for a pretty horrible challenge. But yeah, it, it's interesting. And it's interesting from our perspective to see, okay, do we have fake fake crowd noise? I think in uh, Much and Gladbach, they had... Uh, like cardboard cutouts like Foz here uh, sitting in the stadium you know it's an interesting thing what can you do in Korea they had sex dolls and they had to apologize probably not going to do that I think that's probably not the best idea but uh, yeah so it's been it's been good it's just good to have football back and La Liga is coming back soon I think June 8th or something and then uh, let's see with the Premier League in Serie A. Yeah, Premier League has been another talking point. Um, they seem to be going through a whole host of issues of their own in terms of them getting their act together and, and coming to an, uh, an agreed stance on when the competitions should resume. Uh, before we wrap up, Stolich, I mean, what's the way forward here? Similar to uh, the, the A-League in some respects where you've got that much in-house fighting and you can't get the stakeholders to agree, is it better to just cancel the season and try to resolve your differences and look forward to the next season? Controversial question because I don't want to see leagues cancelled. But if you are in a stalemate and you can't get everyone to agree, and money seems to be a be a big issue, um, you know, is it better to just walk away? To me, no, because you're going to have these same problems in three months' time. If if you cancel the season and then you know clubs are going to sue clubs, the, the amount of lawyers that will get involved, you know, like a club like Leeds United, if they don't get promoted after all these years, because a lot of teams in the Championship spend a lot of money with the kind of hope of it, we will get promoted and that gamble will pay off. Now, if they weren't able to do that, then the, would they have spent the money in the first place? I think it's a very tricky situation. But you know what? If if Germany can do it, if Spain can do it, I do not understand why the Premier League cannot. Uh, you know, the competition is the same. The relegation spots are the same. Uh, I, I don't like what they did in Scotland. I don't like what they did in France. This kind of just award the league. It, to me, it's it's... It doesn't make sense. It, it, it's not. I don't count it as a real title. It, it's yeah. It, it's completely ridiculous. So whether they sort it out or not, let's see. Again, you're waiting for people to basically make you know take sacrifices, and yeah, not many times that happens. Um, just on the A-League, a final point before we look to wrap up the show. Uh, in terms of a, a resumption date for you, what are some of the issues that sort of uh, have really stood out to you that you've identified are a real problem? With the A-League? Mm. Ah, well, I mean, the, the players' wages, 80%. I don't think they're going to agree to that. Then on top of that, you know, you have to make these players agree to go, it looks like, playing a hub. So there's talk of and how much that hub is going to cost. To me, it would make more sense to put the hub in Sydney or Melbourne because obviously you've got three Melbourne teams. Sydney, you've only got two, but Mariners and Newcastle are relatively close. You know, Newcastle's a two-and-a-half-hour drive or so. So to me, that would make more sense. Don't know why you would put it in Brisbane, um, but maybe it's a ground availability thing. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it, and then it, it seems like what DL's story is that 
the broadcaster is going to be the biggest problem. You need all these people to sign off. And right now it seems like there are too many hurdles to be cleared. I'm hopeful. And, you know, James Johnson has been saying all the right things. And there's been talk, even reports of that each party is determined to do a deal of some kind. But, you know, let's say it does seem to be taking longer than it should. And that's, that's frustrating. Mm, certainly is. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's been fantastic to have you, your company, Stolich, as we look to wrap up. And we're really delighted that everybody that's tuned in today could join us once again. We do come few live every Wednesday, Australian Eastern Standard Time, usually with a guest. We were really pleased to have Sydney FC head coach uh, Steve Corica with us earlier today. So if you missed any of that, you can uh, basically watch it back once the show uh, finishes here today. You'll be able to watch from the beginning right through to the end. Um, for all the stories that we have discussed, of course, any of the match highlights, from the Bundesliga, you can head to the World Game website. That story that Stolich has referenced about uh, Dave Lewis and uh, the, the journalist for us who has written about the uh, the broadcasting issue uh, being the basically the, the block between why we can't see the competition resume, you can head to the World Game website for that. My interview, um, in addition to, to Foz as well and Colin Smith's from the Global Media and Sports Rights Company is also heading up shortly as well. So we've got a lot of content coming out and we hope that within the next few days we can start to hear from Football Federation Australia around Around the resumption date of the competition guys it's been an absolute pleasure to have your company whether you're joining us on facebook or getting your questions in early to us on twitter this is why we're here we love engaging with you we hope that we're, wherever you are and from wherever you're tuning in that you are staying safe and keeping healthy as we look to try and re-assimilate back into normal society whatever that looks like these days but uh on behalf of myself and stolich and the entire world game team it's goodbye for now and we'll see you again next wednesday ciao